Hello and welcome to Further Up and Further In, a podcast. Uh, This is now episode 26 of the podcast and the last of a three-part intermission from Prince Caspian uh, in which never-before-released recordings are presented on this podcast centering on the topic of education and Christianity. So I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for next week as we return back to Narnia with chapter five of Prince Caspian. Hi, my name is Matthew Huff, and welcome back to our podcast here at Landmark. Last week, we uh, talked about this notion of repairing the ruins of our first parents. This beautiful quote from John Milton describing what he believed the end of learning to be. The very purpose of education is to repair the ruins of Eden, that what we ought to set our children and set our students and set ourselves about is regaining to know God aright, he says, by reorienting ourselves toward ultimate truth, goodness, and beauty in God. And out of that reorientation, out of that love to repair the ruins of Eden, to know and love God and to imitate him, and out of all of that to possess our souls of true virtue and to uh, enculturate the world, to build the kingdom of heaven. And we mentioned how that whole process uh, rests on an awakening of the capacity for wonder and imagination and astonishment at the outset, that we cannot uh, seek after Christ and seek after his will for our lives in this bland, dull, plain, and uh, ordinary state of mind that we have to first be awakened out of our stupor so that our eyes can see clearly the task at hand and so that our hearts can be filled by the glory of our purpose. And out of that abundance, we go and live our lives unto the Lord and not unto men. And we excel and we push and we work and we strive out of this deep wellspring of joy that has been put there and inspired by the beauty and the beauty and the holiness of Christ, that the Holy Spirit awakens us back into this position of wonder, so that we can fulfill the will of God for our lives and in what He has us to do. It reminds me of this moment where, in the Scripture, where John the Baptist has this uh, prenatal leaping in his mother's womb when he is in the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb that there's this great leaping and this kicking and this excitement that comes. And it just goes to show what the proper response is to being in the presence of holiness, that you leap for joy, that you kick, that you uh, are abounding in this vitality and this uh, strength and this wonder and this glory as a result of being opened to and encountering the glory of God. That's our task, is to constantly redirect our students back toward a vision of God's holiness in and through our particular disciplines so that they can remember and reconnect with this uh, instinctual uh, foundational posture of joy and of gladness and of wonder. It reminds me of the film Sleeping Beauty. I have three daughters at home, so we are quite familiar with it with this movie. But uh, in Sleeping Beauty, the the 
the princess Aurora is cursed and she pricks the spindle and falls into this eternal slumber and she is paralyzed and she is utterly helpless in her condition. She is unable to do anything to restore herself back to life. And so she awaits the kiss of Prince Philip, the true love's kiss. And Prince Philip rescues her and pursues her and goes for her by defeating Maleficent, the dragon, with the sword of truth and the shield of virtue. And he slays the dragon and he redeems the girl and restores her back to life. And Doug Wilson famously said that the point of the whole Bible, the whole purpose is to kill the dragon and get the girl that the serpent in the garden of Eden becomes the dragon of revelation. And we are the girl, the bride of Christ, his church who in our sin and in our curse, uh, are paralyzed by this, uh, eternal slumber that we are forever stuck like Lazarus in the tomb, unable to do anything to save ourselves And Christ, the great hero enters this scene, condescends to us. Uh, John Calvin says that God stoops, he lisps for our benefit, that, that Christ came down to our level. Paul says in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he takes up the sword of truth and defeats the serpent, crushes its head forever, and kisses us awake brings us back to what we were always meant to be, the bride of Christ in all of our splendor and all of our joy and glory. And just like in Sleeping Beauty, the capacity to see that and to experience it and to love it is something we must be awakened to out of our sleep, out of our death and out of our sin. And we get to partner with God as educators and as parents and as people in trying to awaken the hearts and the imaginations of those that God has put in front of us, our children and our students. And what nobler task is there than to partner with God in his story by awakening the wonder and the joy of those he has given uh, to be within our sphere of influence, those that are... um, as the, as the Christmas carol sings, O Holy Night, it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears. That we are uh, in sin and error pining. Uh, we groan for the day of redemption, just like creation in Romans. And uh, that requires a sense of startling us awake, jolting us awake, so that we might be able to see and hear all that is true and good. Uh, Matt Papa, the uh, singer-songwriter, the Christian worship leader, has this great story where he describes ways in which we can fully experience and become awakened to and alive to this sort of glory. And he describes it as uh, this tour bus that is going up and down the streets of Rome. And he, as he says it, uh, he says, there are two different ways that you can really get uh, an experience of Rome. He says the first way is to board a tour bus and to open up your map and to uh, read up on all your Roman history and bone up on all the street names and all the landmarks and listen attentively to the tour guide at the front and take notes and take pictures and, and try to absorb as much of the city as you can. And he said there's also a second way that you can experience the glory of Rome. And he says that is to be the six-year-old boy in the back of the tour bus with his nose and fingertips pressed against the glass, 
whispering, wow. And Matt Papa says, that is another way of experiencing Rome. And the same is true for us, that yes, we can certainly absorb as much information as we can, and we can pursue excellence in everything that we are after. All of our athletics, all of our scholarship, all of our programs, uh, all of the business of our daily life, certainly we can press into that. There is, a, there is an abundance of biblical precedent for that, that we must uh, press on for the prize. We must strain forward. We must push and work hard and whatever we do, do it with all of our heart as to the Lord. But there's also this childlike, innocent beauty uh, that comes with just that first breath of astonishment where we are able to just be awakened to the miracle of the cosmos that this universe is here and that our planet, as Nate Wilson says, is going Mach 86, hurtling through the universe around a burning star. And uh, as the way he puts it is that we have the gall to be bored by that. He says we should be holding on for dear life. That there's a way of recognizing the abundance of our story, this grand fairy tale narrative that God is telling that he is the great hero slaying the dragon and we are his beautiful bride stuck beneath the curse, waiting for the day of redemption, and that he is the one who is able to kiss us awake with the full grandeur of his glory. And that produces within us the the kind of person who is able to, as I said last week, able to repair the ruins, able to bring light into the darkness, able to draw a lost and dying world toward the glory of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, talks about this, uh, this concept and this idea as it relates to education itself. And he famously, at the end of the first passage of that book, uh, talks about how the modern educational system that is concerned with not dealing with objective standards of beauty, objective standards of glory and sublimity, but rather trying to privatize them as things that occur within our own minds or within our own hearts. The example he gives at the beginning of the book is where he talks about a person viewing a gorgeous waterfall and saying that the waterfall is beautiful. Lewis says modern educators won't say that the waterfall is beautiful, but rather that the observer is having beautiful feelings or is perceiving something to be beautiful rather than actually admitting that this world can be objectively beautiful and intrinsically beautiful. And Lewis is trying to respond against that modern notion that everything is personal, everything is up to me, that everything is an abstract concept that I get to decide what it ultimately means. And he says that what that does is it creates men without chests. It creates people who exist only in this intellectual sphere or in this personal sphere, this abstract sphere, and don't have the right capacity to feel correctly. And at the end of the book, he says that in this sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. So he says, we remove the heart, we remove the ability for wonder and joy and we don't let students feel that, but we expect them to still flourish and to, exp- and to still uh, care about aesthetics and to still care about the world. 
He says, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors. Uh, that he's, He says there's this great irony that comes when you accidentally or not create men without chests. You create whole generations of students who are unable to feel glory because we have not allowed them to uh, connect with that that function of their humanity. We have not given them practice. We have not oriented them toward what is glorious and told them to rightly perceive glory. We have not reoriented them. We have not guided them. We have not taught them what they are to do with their heart and with their desires and with their joy. Plato said that we, that the whole point of education is to teach us to love what is beautiful. Paul says that whatever is lovely and beautiful and true and noble, think on these things. Whatever is excellent, think on that. And that is our task as teachers, that we cannot play by the modern playbook and say that what you feel and what is objectively true, what is objectively beautiful, what is objectively and ultimately good is up to you. That it is simply a feeling that is happening in your brain. That's just so many different chemicals firing off, causing particular thoughts to happen. Our students are not the end byproduct of so many random mutations over time. They are not accidents. They did not just simply arrive here because this is a kind of planet that happens to support life under these temperatures and these circumstances, that they are divinely marked. They have the signature of God on them. They are image bearers. They are men and women with chests. They have the capacity to perceive and desire virtue, glory, beauty. They are able, like that six-year-old boy, to press their fingertips against the glass of this universe and say, whoa, God is a God of miracles. He is an overwhelming God. And if our students are going to be trained, if they're going to be educated, then we have to point them always toward this overwhelming God in and through the overwhelming nature of what he has made. Psalm 23 says our cup overflows. God is not contained. Lewis, when he's talking about Aslan in Narnia, says he is not a tame lion. He is not safe, but he is good. And the only way that we can adequately prepare our students and our children to impact the world for Jesus Christ is to teach them to view the universe they were placed in as a wild and not safe environment. It is truly and objectively beautiful and then give them the resources they need to perceive it correctly and to follow it wholeheartedly, to remind them that they are not men without chests, but that they have a heart They have a soul and they have an imagination that can be and indeed ought to be awakened always so that they can correctly perceive and enjoy the glory of God forever. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. And uh, we look forward to releasing more of these along the way. So uh, make sure that you continue to follow along and uh, we'll Send you some more next week.